evening from the bowels of the Horror Press estate, and welcome to a new episode of the Horror Press Podcast, a podcast brought to you by HorrorPress.com. My name is James Michael, and I'm the curator of all things Horror Press. As always, this show aims to bring you the latest horror news you may have missed or overlooked, a place to quickly cover the happenings of the horror world, whether that's studio announcements, movie releases, or box office numbers, as well as some light genre discussion. Today, I'm joined by the horror yin to my yang, Ellie Bad Critic. Welcome, Ellie. <laughs> Welcome <Hello>. back again. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. I love how you introduce me every time. It makes me very happy. <laughs> you know, I'm running out of ways to introduce you because I feel like I had to retire the Mistress of Macabre. <laughs> I, I just spent the, like, November writing about Michael Haneke, so, like, I think uh, it's, like, beyond Macabre now. It's just depressing. <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, I am constantly reminded of you because in a week or two, we have an article coming out where we basically critique BuzzFeed's most hardcore, gross, gory movie list. Oh, shit. throughout every single one, our writer, Brendan, he basically provides the counterpoint to their list. So they have their, like, most hardcore, and then we have an actual horror person's hardcore list. And I'm just like, would Ellie watch this? Like, can I subject her to this? Because the stuff he has pulled out um, is insane. I am very excited to read that because I am constantly seeking out lists of, like, the most depraved, the most disgusting. And they always um, inevitably... There's usually, like, one or two really fucked up things on there that I've already seen. But then, like, the most of them is just like, oh, like was that Martyrs. the worst? Yeah, yeah they'll, uh, they'll always include Martyrs. They'll always incu- include a Serbian film, which I'm like, I'm not going to watch a Serbian film. I don't need no, to watch the, that the one. the stuff on this list it's not is good. <laughs> worse than a Serbian film. One of them, I, I can't recall exactly the name, but it had to do with Japanese World War II experimentation. I think I know what you're talking about. And it, it I just saw the description, and I was just like, I can't. Like, it's, it's terrible in a real way. Is it something about Empire of the Sun? I think Sun? so. Yeah. Yeah. I think and I know what it, you're talking it was, about. Like that one kind of like affected me just reading the description. Yeah. There was one that was like blowjobs and vomit. <laughs> I don't know. Is it the vomit I, doll series? It could be. Like I honestly thought we were gonna do like there's this this series called like something to do with like guinea pig experiments or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm sure he'll write about that. But he did this very in-depth article that I'm very excited for people to read. I know Google and Twitter is going to have a heart attack the moment it goes live. <laughs> probably going to get demonetized for it. Um, but it's the way of things nowadays. Well, you got, sometimes you got to do stuff for the Google and sometimes you got to do stuff for the fans. The like, love of the craft. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah. Oh, I'm some, excited to read that. Some sick shit. So, what have you been up to? What have you been watching? I feel like it's been a while since you've been here. It, it's been a, it's been a minute. Uh, the fall always seems to run by so fast. The last time we talked, I literally had just found out I had COVID. So, that kind of, like, put a damper in my fall activities. But, no, I've been, uh, watching a lot of... Uh, like I said, I, I watched a lot of Michael Haneke movies, some that I'd seen but hadn't seen in a really long time, some that I watched for the first time, and uh, um, I'm sure your listeners could understand, but I think sometimes when you're going through a really hard time watching really difficult movies about violence can have a kind of soothing effect. It's like a safe way to feel bad almost because... 
you have this external thing that is causing you to feel bad and it's not just, you know, something coming from inside of you. Um, And as difficult as those movies are, I think uh, I'm always appreciative that there's a place for like to talk about violence in a real way. It's why I love horror genre, the horror genre so much. Um, And I think, I don't think Haneke really enjoys horror movies in general. I think he kind of abhors them, but um, I appreciate, I appreciate it nonetheless. What have you been watching? I'm going to get shamed because honestly, since October, I've been kind of taking somewhat of a horror break. Um, I've been binging a lot of Real Housewives just to like. Awesome. That's my self-soothing right now during the holidays. Um, on, On the previous episode, we talked about it a bit, but I cut it all out just because I feel like nobody wants to listen to me talk about the Real Housewives. I was always very anti Housewives until somehow, um, I put it on and I was like, this is good brain dead TV. And I can literally just bang out like a season per week. So other than that, um, I think the only movie I've seen recently was A Wonderful Knife. Oh, yes. I've been wanting to see that. Honestly, I didn't like it that much. Everyone was obsessing about it. I thought it was all right. I didn't think Mm -hmm. it was bad. I thought it was fun. I liked Thanksgiving more. And I know that's kind of controversial. Interesting. Um, Interesting. But I I just... I'm trying my best to disconnect it from Eli Roth. Um, And I love Michael Kennedy. I think he's great. I think he's super witty and funny and I love his writing and you could definitely feel it in that movie. I want, it's a wonderful knife. I just, there was something about it that just didn't connect with me. So I'll, I'll let you know what I think when I'm of that and Thanksgiving. It's called Thanksgiving, right? It's not called Thanksgiving. Yeah. Is there no, another movie thank- called Thanksgiving? There there's definitely. I think there's a Thanksgiving somewhere okay. out there. Uh, I'm gonna. Wa- I think I'm gonna watch all of that over the over the holidays. Um, it, it I'm gonna catch up on all the stuff I missed during the fall. Yeah. That Eli Roth is attached to Thanksgiving because I think it's it's a fun movie and I enjoyed it. He just kind of, you know shits on it and <laughs> my enjoyment of it because of his attachment but it well, is what listen, it is terrible people can make good art too you know <laughs> yeah you're you're very right you're very right um what else um i know i watched something else i started watching the goosebumps the new series oh was, how is it how is it i honestly put it on for 10 minutes and turned it off <laughs> So what, I, so what you're saying is we're in a rough a rough patch for horror right now. <laughs> after October, honestly, like I just needed a little horror break. True. Yeah. Um, it was just a lot of horror, and um, I'm trying to get back into the swing of things. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love horror. It's just I'm horror overloaded a bit. Well, I do have actually. I did watch something this weekend that I highly recommend. That I think it's horror adjacent, but very, very well done. Which is the uh, Love Has Won three episode documentary that just came out. I think on I Hulu. Have been wanting to watch it because if there's one thing I love, and you know this, is a good cult documentary. A good cult documentary. And I hadn't realized that. Um, I'd heard lots of people talking about it, and I hadn't realized that it is told from the members. Like the it is the members telling the story, and it is their footage and their notes that are used their footage they documented everything they documented every single thing this is the cult where the lady died and they kept her right yeah okay mm-hmm. yeah i remember reading about it when it happened i was mm-hmm. like fascinated 2020, yeah 2021 um it's very disturbing 
in that way that only real life can be um, because I would say it's there's not like really any malice. I have some questions about a few people um, that were in, that were involved in this cult, but um, it's a lot of mental illness compounding on each other and uh uh it, it, i was fascinated i was riveted i couldn't stop i watched all three in a row and i thought it was really really well done i thought it was compassionately made without um letting anybody really off the hook um and it, like i said it's them telling their own story so i'm definitely gonna um, watch it today yeah now. highly recommended I remember when the the lady was on Dr. Phil, I think, a couple years ago. Yeah, they talk about that. Yeah, And she was very, like, she seemed very healthy and relatively normal. Um, mm-hmm. But then when you see the pictures later on, like, you mm-hmm. can tell that there was something going on there. Well, they were, like, they were just, like, they were just guzzling colloidal silver. Like, that was their big thing. She was blue, basically. Well, that's what happens when you drink colloidal silver every day, like... <laughs> it's not something you're supposed to consume. It's not good for you. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot of... St- it was very, very, very sad and uh, and fascinating and super dark, super dark. Um, again, they have footage of everything that they documented, including after she died. Um, so the documentary doesn't hold back, I, I don't think. Oh, uh-huh. Something that I did watch that I just remembered, um, When Evil Lurks... That destroyed mm. me. Like, mm-hmm. that may be partly responsible for why I'm taking a horror break. Mm-hmm. Um, I l- really enjoyed it. I thought it was very well done. Um, but. Did you, because uh, it, was it in Spanish? Yes, it, it it was in Spanish. It was, I think, made in Argentina. Okay. Uh, the same director fall? as Terrified. Oh, okay. I don't know if you remember that movie. It came out a mm-hmm. couple years ago. Very mm-hmm. well done, too. It was like a ghost story. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly had no idea what the hell this movie was going to be about and sure. it really caught me by surprise and it, it will fuck you up. Sorry. Oh, the little kids. Absolutely not. Please. Uh, anytime there's little kids involved in a horror movie, uh, it creeps me. I just, it, they're so creepy. Children are well, so creepy. Children are not safe in this movie. Just so they you are know. Not, and you know, no. I champion a good child death, but this movie, <laughs> this movie. On screen, on screen. <laughs> on screen, on screen. The kids, the kids get it and they don't give a fuck. You're going to die. So. Yeah. Do you have any predictions for 2024? What, what the horror scene is going to look like for 2024? I mean, the big one is the big hole that scream is going to leave in our hearts. True. I mean, will, will art the clown be able to fill it for us? I don't even know if scream was going to come out this year, but I'm going to assume that they are going to want to churn it out the way they did five and six. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at this point, I think that franchise is cooked. Um, I wanted to actually talk about it and we might as well just get into it now. Sure. But rumor has it, there's nothing official but Spyglass invited Melissa Barrera after they had that backlash. And she was like, no. Good for her, honestly. That's exactly my feeling. Like, I've tried to find context, like, what exactly happened. All that we know is that Spyglass reached out to her to try to, like, fix things. And she said, basically, no. And that's it. Yeah, we we don't have to get into politics stuff here, but it's 
you know, part of the reason why I think I was in such a dark, I've been in such a dark place is, is related to that whole, the whole situation. Um, and I think, uh, you, it's really hard to cover Hollywood sometimes because you just see how, um, how hollow a lot of the, the, the virtue signaling is and the values are when, you know, you have someone like Susan Sarandon getting dropped by her agency for just standing up for, you know, kids not being blown apart by bombs, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to talk about. Um, well, how does Melissa Burr get fired and Eli Roth gets a, se- a sequel? Or Noah, Noah, Noah Schnapp is like, you know, um, talking Zionism about how like, Zionism is, is sexy. sexy. Exactly. Um, who else? Like, Juliana Margulies you know, lose okay. her damn mind. Hot take. <laughs> mm hmm. A part of me is like, Noah gets a little bit of a pass because he's a baby. And he probably doesn't know any better. Like, I think you can. He probably give... has grown ups around him. Yes. And he probably lives in a vacuum. I think it's 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 important to st- to remind yourself that to, to remind ourselves that like um, we're all victims of propaganda, and uh, we are all susceptible to propaganda. Um, however, I think he is so- like someone who has uh, been that uh, aggressive with their platform. You know, we can give him grace once he uh, takes accountability for for his actions. You know yeah. what I mean? Until that happens, I don't have space. I'll ha- I can have empathy for him if he were to change his perception. I try to have as much empathy as possible mm-hmm. for people. But, like, when you get Eli Roth doxing protesters and things like that, like... And then he gets Thanksgiving 2 just handed to him. Meanwhile, like, a couple days before that, Melissa Barrera gets the axe... For doing basically nothing in comparison. Like she isn't doxing anyone. It shows you where the power lies. And just to be very, very clear, the power lies with capital. That's what I'm saying. Uh, it lies with the, the imperial structure of um, the United States. And, and many, many, many industries will back up that power. Um, even in the face of the horrors that we're seeing. On the news, so. Yeah. A lot of it, I I also, I'll I'll use horror to self-soothe, but a part of me is just like, here I am, possibly, potentially enjoying a Wonka movie. Meanwhile, people are getting murdered, you know, somewhere else in this world. Yeah. Here I am with my silly little popcorn bucket shaped like a top hat. Meanwhile, there's people living in tunnels, you know, hiding being held hostage, being murdered, being raped, being set on fire. I mean, I think I saw Ukraine, the Ukraine war is entering its third year. Yeah. And all these atrocities. Yeah, we're about to are close just, out. Yeah, we're closing out the second year. Yeah. Like, and here I am with my silly little Wonka top hat. <laughs> I think, um, I think any activist will tell you that you need to get to the, you need to get through the day and what you can do to get yourself to the next day is what matters. You're no good to any cause if you completely burn out. And so if you need to do something to soothe yourself, uh, if you need to consume some silly media, then uh, in order to get through the day, then that's what you should do. Yeah. It just feels very juvenile. I don't even know if juvenile is the right word. It can feel... Um, I feel like an asshole. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> like sometimes I'll sit and be like, I love Disney. While I'm at Disney, there are people <laughs> being murdered on the other side of the planet. I think um, struggling with nihilism and and uh, and purpose is a worthy struggle. And um, it is not easy, and it is something that I think a lot of powerful people would rather you didn't do. And I think um, art is something that helps me do that. Film, in particular, really helps me understand. Um, it, it really helps me understand complicated dynamics and emotions. So, um, you know, if you can, if you need to soothe yourself with some fun media, then you should do that. If you need to use some really difficult engaging media to understand things better then you should do that at the end of the day it's all entertainment and um but isn't it silly that humans today will rely on 90 percent entertainment just to basically conk out and plug in and just yeah we live in turn um, into an npc no, we turn. We our personalities are are tied to our uh, our our uh, our consummation. Like we can, like you know, are you uh, are you Nike or are you Reebok? Uh, that was probably a terrible reference. I don't know sneakers, um, but like you know, are you PlayStation? Or are you Xbox? Whatever. Like everyone has their identities tied to the things that we consume, and there's a reason for that. And so I think if you find yourself feeling kind of empty and the things around you. Um, don't help you solve that then uh you know get get involved get involved and 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 do something a little more active even if that just means like telling your friends and your family that you love them or like scheduling um time to be with a person it's all it's all valid um something i've been really struggling with is that that i've been trying to look into and learn about is like humans sitting in front of a screen all day like loose sense of reality Oh, a thousand percent. Like, literally. You become like a Twitter warrior. Like, 90% of my day is TV screen, computer screen, cell phone screen. Mm-hmm. And maybe 60% of that is horror movies and video games. And it's like, I need to touch grass. Touch grass is a great <laughs> phrase, and it never goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like, like, even if it just means, like, going to, like, w- walk down to the corner store to get, like, a snack or, like, you know, just wander through a park. Honestly. What um, is reality when all you do is look at generated images on a screen? Yeah, and your reality <laughs> becomes, like, your whole value becomes tied to, like, how hard you post, you know, and that's bullshit. <laughs> no, no one cares what's on Twitter or X, whatever the fuck. It's very irrelevant in the it's grand scheme of things. It's completely irrelevant, you know. And so if you find yourself becoming so uh, ruminating and, 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 and spiraling and doom scrolling, the best thing that you can do is... Touch grass. Touch grass, or what I like to say is, like, do something that brings you joy. Like, not just, like, soothing, not just, like, makes you feel good, but, like, something that elevates you. And that can be just having a conversation with a friend, you know? Well, that's kind of why I've been taking a step back just temporarily from horror. And I've just been like practicing guitar because I feel like it just Great. it brings my awareness back to my body because I'm focusing on my hands and I'm not staring at a screen. A thousand percent. And you're accomplishing something. You know, playing an instrument is a great thing because you see your progress. It's why I like writing so much because it's like it always starts off like shit. It's terrible. It's a pile of garbage. And then the the goal of writing is that you have to keep refining it and you keep editing it until it sounds okay. You know. 
So our first bit of news is the team behind Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, are hard at work on several projects. Okay. So the first being a new hard adaptation of Bambi, titled Bambi The Reckoning, starring Roxanne McKee. Filming is set to begin January 6th in England with a tentative release date of fall 2024. The plot is described as the following. A mother and her son are involved in a car wreck and get hunted by the vicious killing machine known as Bambi. I'm kind of excited for this. I'm not going to lie. That sounds like way more fun than the Winnie the Pooh movie, honestly. I would watch a, a Bambi revenge story. Exactly. Like, I'm hyped for this movie. I, at first, I heard they were going to do a Bambi-themed story, and I thought it would be very corny, because in my mind, I was imagining, you know, CG deers. Right. Um, But this gives it more of a grounded plot and purpose, and I would love for Bambi to get his vengeance on humans. I wonder if we're even going to get, like, deers. Or is it going to be, like, the Winnie the Pooh situation? Oh, it has to be. I mean, listen, that movie was so cheap. And it made, like, whatever money it would have made, it, it was, like, an ex, an exponential profit. So I, I, I can only imagine that they're going to try and replicate this formula of, like, make it for as cheap as possible. Because that's kind of the, the catch, I guess. And it's nice because, you know, Bambi gets his revenge from, you know, hunters killing his mom in the first movie. And yeah, this we, is kind of, like, the story we should have gotten. We all have trauma from watching Bambi for the first time as kids, right? I mean, Bambi and The Land Before Time did a number on me. Yes. Remember when Disney used to just kill the parents in the movie? <laughs> we don't get Like that The anymore. Lion King? Are you kidding me? The Lion King. I still cry over that scene. Scar did nothing wrong. Leave him alone. Stop it. He's a little bitch. <laughs> I love Scar. He's so dramatic. <laughs> but this this sounds fun like i'm on board for it i i poo-pooed winnie the pooh just mm-hmm. i was not interested in that at all but bambi i couldn't get behind yeah and then they're also working on like peter pan or something is yeah i don't is? know too much i've only seen like a couple mentions of the plot line but there's potential drug use in the form of pixie dust sick but let's go that sounds like fun i wonder if there's going to be flying hallucinated flying let's do it um and then yeah mickey mouse is the other thing that like this the old school steamboat willy style mickey mouse is apparently going to be in public domain next year so like what psychotic stuff are we gonna that's the big one because we're gonna see disney has been fighting to keep that from the public domain for a while and i think finally in january they're gonna lose their grip on yeah if you want to if you want to go down a fun rabbit hole, you should look into how Disney has like really fucked everyone over with by fighting copyright law specifically to keep control of Mickey Mouse. Yeah. And then there are other properties too, but yeah. Next bit of news. As expected, Lauren Levera and Elliot Fulham will return to Damien Leone's Terrifier 3, with production set to begin in February and a theatrical release of October 25th. I don't think we got to talk about it, but did you see the teaser for Terrifier 3? Did I see the teaser? I don't think I watched it. It takes place on Christmas Eve. I love that. And 
a little girl comes down the stairs and you see like the back of Santa. And then when Santa stands up, it's art dressed Mm -hmm. as Santa. Mm -hmm. And it kind of like cuts away and you see blood everywhere. And it's implied that he killed the little girl. Oh, I mean, listen, it's Terrifier 3 at this point. It's going to get so insane. I don't even know. Excuse me. I don't even know how they ramp up from Terrifier 2. Yeah. Ter- I don't know if I be- I don't know if I'll be able to sit this in the theater honestly. Terrifier 2 I took I did take breaks between. I did pause it a lot. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do 3 in the theater. The bedroom we'll scene in Terrifier 2 was top notch. And I always cringe a little when people are like, "Oh, that's not that bad." And I'm just like, "No, it was bad. It was very you, bad." <laughs> what do you need to see? Like, what is your bar? I like, just think people are liars. <laughs> like, how? And they show, like, they're they're pretty, like, it's not even implied violence. It's it's in your face. <laughs> over but it's the also, like, it's comedic, right? The point of it is, like, he, like, Art the Clown is, the whole time, is winking at the camera being, like, It's almost slapstick. way over the top. Yeah, it's slapstick horror, honestly. Um... So, like, I get people being, like, it's not terrifying. Like, it's not um, existentially terrifying. Sure. But it is disgusting. (laughs) And, like, try to watch it without wincing. I don't know, man. The only thing I didn't like from Terrifier 2, I didn't like that it felt that they just ham-fisted the whole, like, supernatural stuff at the end with Lauren. But... I mean, whatever, like, what are they, whatever they need to do to keep it going, I'm fine with, I, think, I guess, at this point. I mean, yeah, every, every horror franchise, like, Jason and Michael are both supernatural villains at this point, um, just with how uh, sort of omnipresent they end up being. Um, but I, I loved the ending of it. I thought it, like, legit, it, it like... To me, it redeemed the movie as being much more than just like a gore, f- a gore film. And I thought it was like a really beautifully shot final sequence. I was like, this is technically very, very good. Um, what do you think so. Lauren is in that? Is she like a Valkyrie? Is she know. like an angel and he's like a demon? Because they, they kind of like tried to do this archetypical mm-hmm. good versus evil thing with like, is Lauren Levera's character like the Valkyrie and Elliot Fulham, her little brother is like the counterpoint to art's little demon girl. Maybe. Like, is that what they're building them up to be? Um, sure. I'll go with it. I'll take it. I don't have it. Sorry. I don't have any <laughs> theories that are very deep about the terror movies. As I, <laughs> I just thought it, I literally just thought it like, looked cool. <laughs> This pretty, very good. Pretty nice, I like. (laughs) I mean, that's what was going through my mind because the way the little girl is almost like, I don't know, like a psychopomp or something for art or Mm -hmm. his little helper, will Elliot be Lauren's helper? I don't know. We'll see. Plus, I'm I'm down because this this is supposed to take place during Christmas. I love Christmas horror movies. Especially the only kind of Christmas movie I want to watch. A Christmas horror movie as bleak as Terrifier. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want I'll a happy it. ending in, in a Terrifier movie. No. Like, people need to die. A thousand percent. Do you think we're going to get more poop? Uh, listen, I hope not. 
<laughs> that is my one thing that I'm like, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> the first time I saw that movie, it's I not funny. I was very surprised by the poop scene. <sighs> Listen, it, it, it happened, and uh, I accept that it happened. <laughs> we all poop. What are we going to do? <laughs> Recently, it was announced that the Pope of Filth, John Waters, will be appearing in Season 3, Part 2 of the Chucky TV series as the creator of the Good Guy doll. I am beyond happy for this. I love John Waters. I think he's great. And having him attached to the Chucky loreverse, Chucky universe, makes me beyond happy. I don't know. Have you been keeping up with the Chucky TV series? I have not watched... Uh, beyond the first couple episodes, but it, it's su- I found it super fun, um, and I, I just got distracted, and so I haven't gone back to it yet, but um, I think it's really, really, really fun, and John Waters is so perfect to be, to show up in that show. It's, like, meant for him. He can't die, though. That's my one thing. I will be mad he, if John Waters dies. He loves dying on film. What do you mean? He need I don't know, like... Actually, you know, Chucky killing his creator would be kind of awesome. Of course. And and you know John Waters would make a meal of it. Yeah. Like, it would be so good. I'm excited for it. Anytime John Waters, he's such a treasure, he turns up. I recently rewatched Serial Mom, too, like a couple oh, months Serial ago. Serial Mom is so good. It's so funny. And, like, that was his, like, one mainstream movie that he made with, like, a mainstream marketing campaign, Hollywood studio, and nobody understood that movie when it came out. He got so much shit for that movie. And it's like, what do you, it's so funny. It's so funny. I mean, and Kat, Kathleen Turner. Kathleen Turner, the way, uh, her, the, her whole body language at that movie is so funny. I feel like the world has done a disservice to Kathleen Turner. Seriously, she's such a good performer. Yeah, I love her. Um, But yeah, John Waters, one of my favorite John Waters appearances is in, um, this movie from a long from like maybe ten years ago called Excision. Have you guys talked about Excision no. yet? At any point, he turns up as like <laughs> as like a priest in the movie, and it's just one scene, but it's so perfect. I was gonna see him live last year. I think December eighteenth, he was doing a live oh. show in New York, and I don't know what happened, but I wasn't able to go, and I was really disappointed. He might turn up again. He just, like, goes... He just does his own thing, you know? Yeah. So we both got homework assignments this week. Yes. And it was to watch one of my favorite holiday horror movies of all time. And ever since I've seen it, I've been trying to get everyone to watch it. And that's Dial Code Santa a.k.a. Deadly Games. A.k.a. Francis Cain's Code Père Noël. That's how you say it. I had no idea. I wasn't even going to try to say it, so I'm glad you did it for me. Um, they actually did a screening of this in New Jersey about a week ago in Red Bank that I wanted to go to. I wasn't able to. Um, mm-hmm. But to see it on the big screen would have been a joy. So, did you get to see it? I did get to watch it. I had a great time watching it. I love this movie. I think the little kid does such a great job. He's just amazing in this movie. Like, as a little kid actor, 
usually kids are like, I don't know, they don't do a very good job. They feel a little cheesy. But there are moments in this movie where I really feel for this kid. Yeah, it, it was weird to see like a Home Alone meets Rambo uh, situation. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I love that description. So before we get into it, actually, just the plot, the general plot is basically... Sure, yes. This kid is left home alone with his grandfather in this gigantic mansion. His mother owns like a department store chain, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he is like instant messaging someone thinking that it's Santa. But at the end of the day, it turns out that it was just an angry hobo Santa that shows up at his address and starts murdering people. Mm-hmm. And um, he basically tries to survive the night. Yes. And then do we spoil the 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 crux that that the super violent thing that the santa does or do we have to do should we save that well he he murders a couple people early on but the real murder Mm -hmm. that solidifies how evil and dastardly the santa is is that when the boy finally sees santa and he's all excited the dog comes into the room and he kills the dog yeah and it's pretty brutal it's a brutal brutal again is this a kid's movie? I don't know. They brutally murder a dog in it. I mean, and I, yeah. well, while I was watching it last week, um, I, I was just trying to pay extra attention to see, like, how did they do this? There's a couple scenes where he's kicking the dog, and I'm just like, is he actually kicking the dog? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You can never, know, you never know when movies, because this is a 1989, right, movie? Yeah, one year before Home Alone came out. Mm, suspiciously so. Suspiciously so. Yeah, yeah. I was reading a bit about the background of this movie and uh, and the director did straight up call out um, uh, Home Alone for ripping him off. I don't think it ever went anywhere official, but uh, he was pissed about it. And he ended up um, like I was reading that like a screen in this movie that like Spielberg and Roman Polanski and all these directors were there. George Lucas like loved it. And he ended up directing a bunch of episodes of Young Indiana Jones because, like, Spielberg and Lucas were just, like, fans of this movie when it came out. I I love this movie. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's something about it that just feels magical. It was super magical. And it was very weird. I had, like, a... No, I had a good experience with it. It was, like... I wasn't expecting anything going in. And I'm always a little suspicious whenever they have, like the the mother who's like the working woman and is neglecting her family i'm always suspicious of that trope that turns up a lot in the 80s and the 90s movies um where it's like it's almost like becomes a cautionary tale against like um you know the the working woman it's like you've abandoned your family and now they're not safe at home but I don't think the movie really lent. It didn't really lean super hard into that. Just like I found it hilarious that like on Christmas Eve, she she's like, like walks into the boardroom and she's like, we should hire, we should hire Santa Claus performers. It's like, girl, they already have been hired. They've been working. <laughs> <laughs> My like inner organizer was like, Ugh. When it she work goes that into way. that boardroom and she's like, we need everyone to know that Santa comes here. And I was like, the day of? Like, I like to plan things months in advance. It's like, you have, in real life, you have hired these people by the summertime. Like, by October, it's too late, you know? I mean, the the fun thing, well, I don't know if it's fun, but it really doesn't pull its punches. Like, when you first meet this angry Santa, Mm -hmm. he slaps a little girl that's sitting on his lap. And she's like, you're not Santa. And she tugs on his beard, and he straight Mm -hmm. up just slaps her. And it looks like a real slap, too. 
it's a real horror movie. Like it's not, um, it's not like a cutesy little like spooky movie. Like no, no, no. There's kills in this movie, um, and the kid is like, like you said, is a good performer. He's so he like, does a good job of being scared. It's a very physical performance for him too. He's running around all the time. There's um, there's a very dreamy aspect to this movie for me, only because it's it's definitely rooted in reality. But then there are scenes where he's like, he has this playroom. I don't know, maybe it's because he's filthy fucking rich, but he has this playroom that is like the size of a house. Oh no, the house is it's it's a chateau, let's be real. Like yeah. they're in a chateau. Um and then they just like stumble into this like secret quote unquote room that's like a mausoleum full of toys. Like life size toys. Secret passages that like is behind a freezer. Yeah. Um so it is a little surreal where I was kind of like, what? Is this going to come into play? And I found the ending of the movie kind of sudden where I was like, I thought there was going to be some threads that would get picked up at some point. But they just kind of are like, no, it's over now. Um, and, and let's not forget the fact that he's like eight or nine. I don't know exactly if they even yeah. say how old he is. And he's he's a mechanic. He's like a full time nerd that's like hacking computer systems and building video camera systems in the 80s. Yeah. He's like DMing people over something he's- called a Minitel. That. He's a dungeon. He's a he's a dungeon master for like the his like D and D game that he plays with his grandpa, and he's got like booby traps galore. He trains mm-hmm. like Rambo. Mm-hmm. It's it's it has everything. It's really cute. I think what was I love one of my favorite things in horror movies, especially older horror movies, is how the old technology comes into play. Um, and so much of the technology in this movie, the movie doesn't really explain because it's it's like lost knowledge of at the time people knew what this was, but they don't. Um, it doesn't make any context anymore of like, what is he chatting on? What is he typing with? Um, I mean, it's like when little kids now when they see like the floppy disk as a save button and they don't know what the hell a floppy disk is. No, it doesn't make it. It has no context anymore. Um, but when I mentioned this to, I mentioned this movie to a friend of mine who's, who, who is, uh, French from France, not, not Quebec French, but, uh, France French. And she was like, oh, Tonsis Kays is like, um, it was, it's like a code that you used to use to like get into, ch- it's basically like to get into chat rooms or it's like kind of essentially like a 1-800, like, you know how we used to dial 1-800 on payphones, like 1-800, mm-hmm. like get whatever and like try and spell out a word and then find some weird chat lines that's what the code was for like early internet stuff is like how to get into like different chat rooms mostly for sex <laughs> so, <laughs> but i guess this was like the like a, a promo for um uh to like talk to santa at the mall right um so that's what that was i had no idea that's my that was my understanding of how they were talking about it because like you can see like the Santa guy using the terminal at the mall and he's like oh is this talking to a real Santa, um so that's how that, what I assumed it was I, but you maybe just, like enlightened me because I thought he was just DMing into like the ether and just so happened to get a Santa. That might be it. I might have misunderstood stuff also. Holy shit. Um, you just blew but yeah, mind. it was like a way to like to like find directories and addresses of people too. So again, like in horror movies, they always like they uh, often you'll see like new technology at the time being used to fearmonger of like what is the worst case scenario of this new foreign technology, foreign as in like unknown. Um and so you see that play out here, like this like early paranoia, internet paranoia of like anybody could be on the other line. 
um i mean it's very true though and if you think about it it is scary you don't like back in the day like the chat rooms in aol was like the wild wild west oh i mean we used i me and my friends that you know we used to do that we used to like go into chat rooms and be like tee hee hee boobs tee hee hee like try and like see what weird shit people would say obviously not understanding like how that's actually quite dangerous to do um yeah but yeah part part of like one of the the scenes for me that really made me like sympathize or empathize with this poor kid is he's having like this dramatic meltdown and he does this really good job because i think up until that point okay he is told don't look at Santa or he'll turn into an ogre. Mm-hmm. And he kind of blames himself for t- Santa turning evil. Yeah. And yeah. throughout the movie, you know, he, at least for me, like I took it, like he was really having some guilt. And then he realizes that, you know, he's just a bad dude. It's just a guy. It's just but a guy. I mean, yeah. That's such a true thing for like a kid character also. Like a kid would understand the world that does understand the world that way, right? Like kids are very self-centered for better or for worse, but like when something bad happens, that kind of magical thinking is very common for kids. It's like, "Oh, I did something to cause this, you know, cuz I He's thought the wrong thing or something." Super advanced, a mechanic, scientist, Rambo, mm-hmm. but he's still a kid and yeah. he's being confronted by this unspeakable evil. And, um, I don't know, it really touched me the way, he, like, he realizes what the hell is actually going on. Yeah, and I did, thinking back now, too, I did really like the family scene when the three, like, his mom and his grandpa are all sitting together. I thought that was, like, a very sweet scene um, in comparison to, like, a lot of other, like, I kept, obviously, it's hard not to compare it to Home Alone, but, like, in Home Alone, the family is, like, so abusive to Kevin. It's hard they're to sympathize so with to like, any of them, really. Yeah. And in this movie, they're just like, it's like a nice family, and she's kind of working hard, and they're just trying their best, you know? Speaking of Home Alone, I'm still traumatized at the fact that Catherine O'Hara is my age in that movie. Really? Yeah, she's, I think, I saw, I, it was a meme at least, maybe it's not true, but she, mm. in the meme, she was 36 during the filming of Home Alone. And she has like seven children or something? You know, I have must have watched Home Alone a million times, and I have no idea how that family is so big. <laughs> I I always assumed it was like they, they all do? convened together before the trip. Mm, like it was a, or it was like a, it's like cousins or like blended family stuff. Yeah, and they were all just like meeting up the night before, before they go fly. Uh, okay. Okay, that would make more sense. But maybe I should rewatch that because I I love Home Alone, but mm-hmm. it's just a movie mm-hmm. I've I, I've taken for granted and just haven't rewatched in forever. <laughs> well, now's the time. Now's your chance. I mean, yeah, to compare it to Dial Code Santa. I don't know. I feel like Dial Code Santa is going to be the superior movie. I'm excited to read what you guys are going to put out um, about uh, this movie. I look forward to that. It's it's a doozy. It'll be out, I think, tomorrow. Well, the day that this comes out, that people are listening to it, it should be out. So, so before we say our goodbyes, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Anything that you think we should check out, something that has resonated mm. with you, book, album, TV show, anything? Um, let's see. 
Um, I think if, uh, if you haven't already, I don't know why you're waiting on this movie. One of my favorite movies that I got to see last year at Fantasia Festival is finally available for VOD and it's called Relax, I'm From the Future. I highly recommend it. If you uh, struggle with nihilism and existentialism and still want to see a comedy that's very dark, but um, also very queer and uh, very funny, <laughs> I highly recommend Relax, I'm From the Future with uh, Reese Darby and Gabrielle Graham. Uh, it's also Canadian, so uh, I'm going to plug it. But yeah, no, Relaxing from the Future, it's like a sci-fi indie comedy, and uh, it was made with a lot of love, a lot of labor, and uh, it'll make you feel good while you feel bad, I think. I mean, those are the best kind of movies. Exactly, exactly. So where can everyone find you? You can find me at Bad Critic on Instagram. Uh, you can also find me at Bad Critic, uh, my Medium page. I also post everything there if you're annoyed with meta platforms and want to... Uh, be somewhere else. Um, yeah, I'm almost getting up to 600 followers, which sounds like a little number, but it's a big number for me because I don't really try very hard to get followers. So, um, you should though, you... like you do a really good job. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much. Um, and if you do, uh, like what I do, come hang out. We're, I've got something very special planned for to post on Christmas day. It's going to make it's going to be awful, and I'm excited for it. Awful. Like, good awful or bad awful? Yeah, like, it's it's going to be the worst. It's the worst movie I could ever think of to talk about on Christmas Day. Oh, I'm trying to think of what that could be. <laughs> if you look through my page, you can probably find a clue or two about it, but... If not, just let it, just let it happen. It's going to be fine. That wraps up episode 19 of our podcast. It's been a nightmare. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook... And don't be afraid to reach out and let us know what you think. And be sure to leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. We look forward to seeing you soon for the next episode of the Horror Press Podcast. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. Bye.